91.3 WLRN presents Topical Currents. In Broward County alone, several hundred children entered the child welfare system each year. The reasons vary, but sadly usually involve abuse, abandonment, or neglect. Good afternoon, Joseph Cooper and Bonnie Berman. This hour we focus on ChildNet, the local community agency responsible for placing vulnerable children in both Broward and Palm Beach counties. The key to the system is to find exceptional people to serve as extraordinary foster parents. This includes background checks, of course, home study, and training. Foster parents are caring individuals from all socioeconomic, religious, ethnic, and racial backgrounds. We'll learn more about becoming a foster parent after NPR and Regional News. Joseph Cooper and Bonnie Berman, it's today's Topical Currents Monday edition. Welcome. Today we discuss the realm of foster parenthood and learn more about ChildNet of Broward and Palm Beach counties. Perhaps you've thought about foster parenthood. What a responsibility, but what an opportunity for reward. First, we have ChildNet Palm Beach Executive Director Larry Rhine, who will have an overview. Welcome to you, Larry. Thank you. And we also had the ChildNet Director of Community Relations. He's Kenny Brighton. Obviously, communications are an important part of the agency. And we thank you for coming. Thank you. And we'll also hear from Wendy Smith. She's the Director of Foster Home Recruitment and Licensing at ChildNet. And she knows about foster parenting firsthand because she has been one, as well as an adoptive parent. And we want to welcome you as well. Thank you. Okay, Larry, let's start with you. If you could give us just an overview of what ChildNet is, the mission, the goals, just a pretty broad overview so that we'll know what we're talking about. Certainly. ChildNet is a nonprofit organization that was created in 2002 specifically to be the lead agency for community-based care in Broward County. Um, Community-based care is the name given to the privatization of foster care in the state of Florida, which actually began in 1995 and then went statewide in 1998. So a group of community leaders in Broward, business leaders, church leaders, social service leaders, all got together and sort of made a plan for how foster care and related services would look in Broward County when the privatization began there, which actually began in 2002. ChildNet did that ran the system of foster care and related services in Broward County beginning in 2002, taking over the responsibilities and the funding that had been the Department of Children and Families. Okay. So, uh, and then in Palm Beach? In Palm Beach, there was a like organization beginning around the same time as ChildNet, a couple years later perhaps. Um, They, like all organizations, had some challenges, and five years ago, nearly exactly five years ago, the Department of Children and Families did an emergency procurement to replace the organization that was the lead agency in Palm Beach, and they selected ChildNet to also run the foster care system in Palm Beach. So since October of 2012, we've been in Palm Beach, and I've been the executive director up there. What were the reasons the foster system shifting to the community-based rather than being state-based? Well, it is still state-based in the sense that it's still state system, state-funded, funded funded by the legislature. 
Um, but going back to 1995, the legislature had the notion, which turns out to be so on target, that communities could be more flexible if it was local and privatized. Instead of having one monolithic system run by Tallahassee, you could create a system in Dade County that met the needs and acknowledged the resources and the systems that existed in Dade, and then do something different in Broward with people and leadership that understood Broward and the different resources. And also the, the state-based agency had come under fire for some really tragic examples of, um, of care not being administered and lost children even. There, there was, and actually the privatization though actually began well before that unfortunate incident. Oh, it did. Well, what what spurred this privatization to begin with so that the needs could be met of the individual communities? And what about the um, downside of this? Has it worked? It has worked, in my opinion, tremendously well. Um, communities, local community-based care is, in fact, much, much more flexible and can respond much more quickly. Is it perfect? No, nothing is perfect. Um, but it continues to get better because it can make improvements and it can make them quickly. And it doesn't have to go through mm. the bureaucracy of getting approval from Tallahassee for right. everything that you do. It is privatized, but it is still nonprofit. It is absolutely nonprofit. All the lead agencies, like ChildNet, of which there are approximately 20 right now, are nonprofit organizations. Kenny, would you explain your principal funding sources? Yes. Yeah, so, as Larry touched on, we're, we're funded by the legislature, um, and that's incredibly important to us. And we're lucky down here in South Florida, Broward, Palm Beach predominantly, that we have some state legislators who are very focused on child welfare and making sure that all of our children are provided for. And without their support, we couldn't do what we do. But a very important part of our funding is private funding. Individuals, corporations, foundations, school children who do drives in their classroom. So it's a multifaceted fundraising model, and that's part of the community in community-based care. It is really a product of the people we pass on the streets every day. Tell us about, the, about these kids raising money for ChildNet. How do they do that? Oh, it's, it's very impressive. Some do penny drives where they literally will come to ChildNet, and I'll get called down from my office, <laughs> and they'll have a Folgers can full of change. And that's the difference that they wanted to make is by doing that. Um, and then, of course, as we get into high school, we have honor societies who will do things a little more organized and a little more formal. Um, and as we approach the holiday season, we have a, uh, a gift drive that we can talk about later if we have time. And the community last year donated nearly 10,000 individual gifts uh, for children in foster care. And a lot of that came from schools and Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. I'm wondering how the hurricane a couple of weeks ago might have affected the whole situation with foster children. Did uh, it have an impact on the number of children that are in the system right now? No, it it didn't have an effect of creating any more okay. removals or anything like that. Um, ChildNet and all the lead agencies throughout the state of Florida, as part of what we do, part of our contract with the Department of Children and Families, we all have very detailed emergency preparedness programs or plans, um, and we enacted those. Obviously, in South Florida, we've had experience with these before, so it was fairly well-oiled, and we make sure that every child is safe and is 
away from danger and away from harm, and we continue to follow up daily, hourly, on the well-being of children during during the storm and afterwards. So that and could be part of the parent review process of making sure that they have a, an emergency plan and shutters and things absolutely. to make sure that the children will be safe. Yes, Wendy could give you the yeah. detail. Let's bring in Wendy. Wendy Smith is the director of Foster Home Recruitment and Licensing and knows all about being a foster parent and an adoptive parent. So tell us what preparations I wanted to get to you anyway and find out we we're going to do a whole right um, well, more go more in depth but go ahead thank you yes um all foster parents have in the process of becoming licensed created a disaster plan and they write down what their plan will be if there's an emergency and then we have agencies who check in with them and support them and make sure they have everything that they need before the hurricane strikes and then they check in with them again afterwards to make sure everything is okay so our foster parents did a phenomenal job to not just make sure that the kids physical needs were met but emotional to make sure that the kids were prepared to deal with something that might be scary for them I'm just wondering logistically how this works now foster children can still see their biological parents is that correct yeah in many cases yes we we really want the children to be seeing their birth parents because we want reunification to occur so in in a situation like this with a a natural disaster that's on the verge of coming where do the children go well the children will stay with their foster parents they will yes they'll stay with their foster parents during the disaster and if a foster parent feels the need to evacuate they'll go with them just like they would take their birth children Wendy, part of your uh, title is licensing. What's the licensing aspect that you cover? Well, I'm the director of licensing at ChildNet, so I oversee the licensing process and the licensing files of all the foster home management agencies and all the foster parents in Palm Beach and Broward County. We have about 850 foster parents between both counties. And what about agencies? Yes, we subcontract with some wonderful agencies, and they do the recruitment, the training, the licensing, support of the families. It's a very successful model. They get much more one-on-one attention that way. And then we step in to help support and make sure. Now, is that license something these agencies or people could lose if they're not up to standards then? Yes, it is possible if a foster parent was not providing quality care for the children, absolutely the license would be revoked. How many children do you serve within Broward and Palm Beach County? Well, right now in Palm Beach County, we serve about 1,500 children. Um, In Broward, I believe it's probably a little bit over 3,000. I'm not as fluent in the Broward number as I am in the Palm Beach. And do you have enough foster parents? We absolutely need more foster parents. Um, That's really why I'm so thrilled to have this opportunity today. Um, Foster parents are the backbone of the foster care system. I cannot begin to tell you how important they are, how much we need to value, respect, and support them. Um, We just need more for several reasons. One, because we always lose them when some of them decide to adopt. There's also limitations on how many children they can have in their home. So when we get big sibling groups and things of that sort, we always need more capacity. Um, In the last several years, in Florida in general, and regrettably South Florida probably led the way, um, there was a dramatic increase in the number of children being removed from their homes because of abuse, abandonment, and neglect over the last couple of years. And even though we had a great inventory of foster homes in Broward and Palm Beach, with that influx of new removals, newly removed children, we did not have enough capacity to meet that need as easily as we would have wanted to. So we desperately need more foster homes, 
both counties, and we especially need foster homes for teenagers. That's sort of a unique issue. So what happens when there's, there's not enough rooms at the inn? <laughs> regrettably, what happens when there's not enough room at the inn, I shouldn't say regrettably, what happens when there is not enough room at the inn is often a child will have to spend some time in a foster care shelter or in a group care setting. Now, let it be said, group care in South Florida and shelter care for children in South Florida is very high quality, run by professional nonprofit organizations, supported by the community, supported by volunteers. That said, for the typical child removed from their home through no fault of their own, because of their parents' behavior, um, we'd prefer that they have a familial relationship mm-hmm. rather than a larger And stay with siblings. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Another reason for why we always need more foster parents. You say that two years ago there was a tremendous influx of these children. What happened two years ago? It it actually began a little bit more, probably more about three years ago. Okay. Um, And it's a couple of things, and we're just hypothesizing about what it is. Uh, I think there was increased media coverage about some children that perhaps had not been removed and then came to harm. I see. Um, That was probably a large part. I wouldn't be surprised if changes in the use of substances by parents has also contributed to that. You Um, mean more substance abuse? Yes, more substance abuse. and, and and essentially, those are probably that's what that's what we guess were the two major factors. Okay. We're speaking about um, the challenges of motivating people to take on the demands of foster care with representatives of ChildNet, Broward and Palm Beach counties, state designated lead child welfare agency, and we are speaking with Larry Ryan, Kenny Brighton, and Wendy Smith. We'll take a short break, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Monday's Topical Currents. Joseph Cooper, Bonnie Berman, and we're speaking with the folks from ChildNet of Broward and Palm Beach Counties. We have their executive director, Larry Ryan, also the ChildNet director of community relations, Kenny Brighton. Also with us is Wendy Smith, director of foster home recruitment and licensing. And our telephone number, if you'd like to join in, that's easy enough, 1-800-743-9576, one 800 743-WLRN. Also emails, please keep them brief, radio at WLRN.org. Wendy, since you have such a need for foster parents, let's talk about what it entails. First of all, who can be a foster parent and why did you want to be a foster parent? I would say most people could be foster parents. It really requires time, love, and room. Uh, to be a foster parent, you have to, of course, pass a background screening because we worry, you know, we want to care about the quality of the homes we're bringing in, and a home study. And that's it's it's really not complicated. A lot of people think it is. How much time does it? When you say time, what time are we talking about, and how long do they stay with you if you don't adopt them, right. for example? I would say time. If someone's working two jobs and going to graduate school at night, it might be hard. Okay, that's what I mean. You okay. know, but the vast majority of people work regular nine to five jobs, and daycare is paid for, so you don't have to worry about that, and you get a stipend to help pay for clothes and food and free medical. So I think most people just don't know that there's a need. They don't know that there's a need for foster parents. 
and they don't know that they can meet that need. Must it be a two-parent home? No, we, we, we look at all families and we Could it also all. be same-sex Absolutely, couples? yeah, yeah. And why did you want to be one? I was working at an agency and my job was to take the calls for placement. And I remember the moment very clearly when I decided to be a foster parent. I had gotten a call for twin two-year-old boys who had been found in their home alone and uh, without care because their parent had left them. Mm. And I was searching with our agency to try and find an available home and we didn't have any, we were full. And it broke my heart to think that these two little boys wouldn't have a family. And so I went home to my husband and I just said, we're not perfect, we're busy, but you know what, we can do this. And we did, and we did it for 10 years and we really loved it. Kenny Brighton is the uh, communications uh, and outreach uh, director. What are the obstacles in your job as far as uh, uh, making ChildNet more successful? I, I wouldn't say there are obstacles. I think any organization you want to you want to send the right you don't message. Have, you have no obstacles. I, well, I don't want to say there are none. I want to say they're minimal. We uh, we have a great story to tell. Luckily, we have people like Wendy who make such an unbelievable gift to the community, and it's just a matter of articulating that story effectively. I think. The biggest obstacle is getting people to understand that they can be foster parents, that no matter what their family looks like, no matter um, what their... It does sound rather daunting. It is a huge (laughs) commitment, and we don't want people to get into it without being prepared for that commitment, and we want to make that clear. I mean, kids in foster care are unbelievable. They're smart, articulate, loving... But, of course, just like in your neighborhood, there are kids who aren't all those things. And we want to make sure that these potential foster parents are aware that it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be fun, but it's always going to be worth it. They're going to be able to bring these children to another level and make sure that they're prepared for the rest of their lives. I'm just wondering about the problems of abused, neglected, or abandoned children psychologically and how that's addressed. Did you want to talk about that? Right. You know, with every kid I've ever had and all the children I've worked with, I would say that there are no bad children. There are just children who've had bad things happen to them. And so how we handle that is all of the foster parents go through a training class and they get continual support. It isn't where you get licensed and then no one ever comes by again. You get licensed and you're assigned a support worker who's there for you 24-7. And we provide services and therapies in the home for the children to help the foster parents manage the behaviors. And it's very true what Kenny said. You can see so much change in a child's Mm. life and heart I mean, when you, when you have a child that comes into your home and they're scared to death and you can see it in their eyes and they don't know you, but then you show them some love and consistency and you show them what a family can look like, their little hearts just open up and you see them smile in a sincere way. It's a beautiful thing. Do you choose the foster children that you want to take or are they assigned by some system? How does that happen? No, that's a great question. You choose what you feel most comfortable serving. If you want, for instance, we used to just take boys for a long time because I had sons. I thought I'm a good boy mom, you know. And you can choose your age, your gender, and we encourage you to find what works within your family. And then over time, that can change. We expanded our family to go higher in age, and then we took girls, and then we just started taking just about everything. So how many children have you fostered? Eleven. And of those eleven, you adopted? Two of them, yeah. Yes. So right now, you have your two adopted Mm -hmm. children, and then you also have some foster children as well. No, we have birth children. I have a 24-year-old son and a 21-year-old son. Yes, so we're starting all over again with a 7- and 8-year-old. So so it's a lot of fun to do it the second time around. That's the picture you see. Is there a ballpark figure or a percentage of those parents who are uh, 
become adoptive parents after they've been a foster parent of the same kids? I would say that approximately, and this is a rough approximation, 80% of the children will go home, either with family or their birth parents. All the children that were ever in my foster home went either with a parent or a relative, like a non-offending parent or a relative. Um, if you foster long enough, eventually it will probably happen that someone will ask if you're interested in adopting that child, and there's no pressure if, if that's not but your But can goal. that create tension then with the uh, biological parents? If uh, a foster parent says, I want to be an adoptive parent, mm-hmm. is there a tension there? That, well, uh, we don't... We don't have that conversation until after the rights of the parent has been terminated. See, we when someone comes in to foster, we make it very, we want to set people's expectations appropriately. We say we don't have a foster to adopt program. We have a foster care program, and the goal in foster care is reunification. And reunification is very beautiful. I've reunified. So that's the first Absolutely. Priority. And when they can go with family, I have a little boy. He's not little anymore. He was five when he came, and he was, you know, he stayed for two years, but he had fantastic family in New York. And he's with them now, and he's 16 now, and he still plays video games online and with my son. And you're happy with that. I loved him. He sure. was, it was his family. It was good. And so reunification is a beautiful thing, but so is adoption if they have nowhere to go. So how does it work exactly? So a child is taken from the parents' home. The, what is the process? In, in Palm Beach County, okay. the Department of Children and Families still does the child abuse investigations. So the, the abuse hotline gets a call, and if it warrants it, they then refer it to the Department of Children and Families protective investigators. They go out, do their investigation, do a very thorough and now very well-structured assessment, and then if they make the decision that the child, for their, be- for their safety, that they're at imminent risk and they need to be removed, then the protective investigator will remove that child. They will try to find a relative, if at all possible. If they cannot find a relative, then they will bring the child to ChildNet. ChildNet operates both in Broward and in Palm Beach, an absolutely wonderful program called Safe Place. It It is our intake and assessment center. So when the child's been removed, while we try to find a foster home for them, they are in a very child friendly setting served by a host of caring professionals and volunteers. We have behavioral health professionals that will do an immediate exam with them to deal with any immediate trauma that they're experiencing and then to set up any referrals or treatment that they need. And then we go about trying to, we reach out to the many agencies that actually support and train the foster parents and we try to find a placement for that child that will meet their needs. Again, I'm going to give the number out. Perhaps you have been a foster parent. Perhaps you would like to be a foster parent. And our number is 1-800-743-9576, 1-800-743-9576. There is a great need for foster parents in ChildNet and Broward and Palm Beach counties. Also, you can email radio at WLRN. .org, radio at WLRN.org. So how does the home study process work kind of under the microscope? Or? We, it's, not, it's just to make sure that the home is safe, um, to ensure that if you have a pool in your backyard, there's appropriate safety devices and there's appropriate locks to get out to the pool. It's to ensure that you have the, the necessary bed for a child. 
um, and that the they home is ready. They each kept their own room, correct? No, actually, no. Um, all of my foster kids, except for when there was gender issues, you know, like I had a little girl and she couldn't share with the little boy, um, they can share with your birth children. And that's and actually sometimes nice because yeah. sometimes they're afraid of the dark. And I remember I had one little guy that really wanted my older son to come in the room and play on his, you know, iPad just because he wanted someone there. And it makes him feel good to know that there's other people there. If I could, if I could add, there's also for every foster parent a thorough background screening done by <laughs> professionals to be sure that there's yeah. nothing disqualifying in terms of a criminal behavior or a prior abusive mm-hmm. behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, and, and this is tricky, but the the foster parent does need to have sufficient resources mm-hmm. to be able to care for the child. They will get a stipend, if you will, to a board rate, which we're continu- continuously in the state of Florida trying to increase the board rate. Right now, I think the average board rate is $17 a day f- per child. Um, any of us that have raised children in South Florida know that $17 a day doesn't go very far. So people can't be anymore looking to do this to get gain. Mm-hmm. This is really, everybody that's fostering... And of course, you it, wouldn't want those kind of people no, anyway. No, absolutely. Pro- absolutely. Um, one of the flaws, perhaps, of the system long ago before the privatization might be that that's what was right, happening. Right, um, But now, if you see foster parents now today, there's no question um, that they are doing it because they want to help. Um, I read that the, the parents are also expected to... To, to be financing some of the things for, for the child. They absolutely almost always do. Um, there are a lot of supports, and Wendy sort of touched on some of them. Medical care for all children in foster care comes through Medicaid reimbursement and a very good healthy network now operated by Sunshine Health. Um, their behavioral health care needs, their counseling needs, their therapeutic needs, um, all of that is met without expense to the foster parent. Child care, which some people call daycare, um, but is actually caring for children, what we would call preschool, early childhood education, and after-school care, is also provided for by the state for any children in foster care. They are a high-priority population for that. So, so the foster parents get a lot of supports. Um, that said, we don't want them to be doing it for money. No, of course not. And uh, and you were going to say that they do have to have some financial means to be be yes. a foster parent. Absolutely, because I mean, it will require some funding, some on the, on their part. We're speaking with the folks from ChildNet of Broward and Palm Beach counties. Kenny Brighton, ChildNet ChildNet's director of community relations. Larry Ryan, ChildNet's Palm Beach executive director and also Wendy Smith, Director of Foster Home Recruitment and Licensing. Again, our number, 1-800-743-9576. Our email, radio at wlrn.org. We'll be right back. And we're back with today's Topical Currents, Joseph Cooper and Bonnie Berman. 34 minutes past 1 o'clock. We're talking about Child Net of Broward and Palm Beach counties. We're speaking with Larry Ryan, Kenny Brighton, and Wendy Smith. And we have some uh, calls on the line. We'll get to those in just a moment. But I was wanted to uh, talk about the, uh, the level of needs for some of these children. Uh, you have three uh, classes, traditional, enhanced, and therapeutic. If you kind of go over those. I'm sure there's a wide range of what these kids have gone through and what they've, uh, 
and how they've reacted to that. Absolutely. Um, the Most of the children are in what we call traditional foster homes, which are parents like Wendy, um, who the child may have some needs, may have behavioral health care needs, and we would normally get some counseling for them um, and whatever treatment they might need. But then there are some children that might be a little bit more challenging. And so then we subcontract with other not-profits to provide an enhanced level of care, to provide more support to the foster parent, to perhaps provide a therapist for that family. They may be in the acting out stage. Uh, precisely. Would precisely. you say that the teens, you say you have a great need for foster uh, homes for teens now. And and in fact, many of the enhanced foster home programs are to serve for teens, teens yes, yeah. who are especially challenging. Not all teens. Because a lot of teens, though they bring the typical teenage issues, do not necessarily require an enhanced care, but many of them do. Then the third level is actually called therapeutic foster care, and that is a treatment in and of itself. That's intended to be a shorter-term therapeutic intervention so that a child may be in a traditional foster home or an enhanced home, but they're not getting, even with that, even with the enhanced home, they're not getting constant enough treatment and therapy. So to try to stabilize the child, they will be assessed and then if appropriate may need a therapeutic foster home placement for several months to try to get themselves stabilized and then return to the foster home, traditional foster home. And the, the parents that offer these therapeutic foster homes, how, what are the requirements of for them. Again, they they have special training that goes well beyond oh, okay. that of the traditional foster home or even the enhanced foster home. And again, they are a treatment that is actually funded through Medicaid because it's much, much, much more costly. And it's really a medical and therapeutic treatment, a therapeutic foster home. Do most of the foster kids, if they're spending a long time in a, in a foster care situation, will they have multiple foster parents as they grow older? We... Fortunately, the stability of their placements, especially in Broward and Palm Beach, I can't speak for, for other places, um, but the stability of their foster home placements has increased dramatically. Um, we are well above the national standard in, in the reducing the number of foster home placements. That said, there are occasionally times where a child may not be working well or the foster parent may not be responding well and then there is another placement. But overall we've done an improving job and the better we can do with increase another reason for increasing the number of foster homes because then we can make sure we're making the best possible match at the beginning so that we don't have to worry about a placement. Sometimes you may have parents that say whoa I didn't know what I was getting into. (laughs) Absolutely true And, and you can understand that and oftentimes a child won't present initially in a way that we realize, but then that trauma and what's inside them comes out somewhere right. later along the right. way. They get more comfortable. Yeah. 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 It, it, yes, precisely. We have an emailer who wants to know the options for teens who age out of the system, and can they go to college on government funds? Uh, absolutely. Any child that ages out of foster care in Florida, I believe, is entitled to tuition. His tuition is paid in the Florida state system. That's been a big problem in the past of aging out and suddenly being almost destitute. Well, the state of Florida has done an amazing thing. A a couple of years ago, the legislature passed legislation called extended foster care, created an extended foster care program. So today, 
any child, I shouldn't say any child, there's strict requirements for when they leave foster care. But essentially, they're not left. When, when they turn 18, they still have the option to stay in foster care, have someone help them transition to adulthood, and have financial supports available to them from the state of Florida. And it actually lasts up until the age of 23. I mean, parents have, have rebounds of their own children so often. They <laughs> That's exactly right. I would say one of the sadder things in the past was that notion several years ago when a child turned 18 and all of a sudden that was it. Um, but that's gradually changed and now with extended foster care, every child that's leaving foster care has options and has support. Wendy, I'm just interested. So you've had 11 foster children. You've adopted two of them. Correct. Are you still in touch with some of the other nine? Yes. Um, actually, over the hurricane, uh, the one that we had when he came at five years old, he's 16, he texted me to see if we were going to be okay. It was uh. very sweet. And um, we had contact with a couple of the children that had gone to another state as well for quite a while. But then kids, they grow up and, right. you know, they don't want to talk to their own parents when they're teenagers. <laughs> so um, we've always been open to having contact with the kids. I suppose you also checked it out through your with your other children before you brought in the foster kids of how do you feel about this? Absolutely, and yes. I wanted to make sure my own kids were on board, and they were. They really were. And they, they've embraced it, and they've actually mm. said my son's 24 and he's married now, and he says that one day he's going to be a foster parent as well. Wow. Yeah. Let's take a, a call or two. If you'd like to join in, 1-800-743-9576. 1-800-743-WLRN. Email might be quicker, radio at WLRN.org. First up, South Miami caller. This is John. Hello, John. How are you? Hi. How are you today? Good. Um, it's been, I think, my youngest child that we adopted now is a, just a freshman in, in college, and he's a, is a pitcher of baseball. My wife and I were, at one time, the only two, the only blind couple registered as foster parents. Hmm. That must be, um, is that a challenge? We fostered. My wife's amazing. Um, <laughs> we fostered a bunch of them. At one time, she had four babies under four months old. Oh. We wound up adopting one of those, and then a couple of years later, adopting um, his half-brother, who is now a junior at UCF. So, and I've talked to the organization before because I wanted to let them know that if there's ever a time that we can go to a fundraiser or any type of opportunity where they need speakers to um, just let the, the, the public know it's, it's a joy being able to help these kids, and a lot of times they're in a defenseless situation. Kenny? Yeah, of course, and we appreciate that. And uh, opportunities to have speakers are, are plentiful, and we'll, we'll get your contact information, I'm sure. But the story like yours is one that's extraordinary. I mean, you have an extraordinary story on your own, and then when you add the foster care component to it, it's it's remarkable. And I know we appreciate everything that you've done. And uh, this just Well, another entry, interesting part, not to interrupt you, but that our, both of our sons still know and speak to their biological and they were reunited with two of their other sisters that um, that they still have a relationship with. Also, wow. John, my, my wife kind of my wife kind of broke every rule that you're supposed to <laughs> not be in contact, and, but she's actually restored a whole family. It's been amazing. 
John, I'm going to ask you to, Kenny, would you please give John your contact information yeah, now course. because it's going to be hard to get it right now. Yeah, of course. If, uh, John, you want to email me, that'd probably be the best. It's going to be K as in Kenny and my last name, which is Brighton, B as in boy, R-I-G-H-T-O-N at childnet.us. Did you get that, John? Um, it, listen, if it's possible, since I'm, I'm right in the middle of working at this moment and I'm blind and I couldn't write this down, I'll put you, um, I'll put you on hold. Can, I'll put okay, you perfect. on hold. All right. Thanks, guys. I listen every week. Okay. Every we'll, get, we'll get back to you. So just stay in. As soon as we can, we'll get your contact thanks, information. Thanks, John. Okay. Thank you. Um, in fact, let's give out the hotline number now before we run out of time and make sure that people have time to be able to write it down if they're interested in being becoming a well, foster there, parent. There are two hotline numbers. There's one for Palm Beach County, which is... It is the nine, excuse me, Palm Beach County is 561-352-2501. This is the Palm Beach County Foster Care Recruitment Hotline. It's 561-352-2501. And for Broward County, it's 954-414-6001. And let me add, for Miami-Dade County, I called the... the Foster Parent Recruitment Hotline for Our Kids of Miami-Dade Monroe is 305-445-6241. Again, 305-445-6241. And please ask for Nadine Roll if you call from either Miami-Dade or Monroe County. And I just wanted to get one more number while we're giving these numbers, and I'll give them to Jason to put on the website, the hotline numbers. Is there uh, an abuse hotline number that you know one eight hundred ninety six abuse A B U S E. Okay. And back to our calls, we've got uh, Mark in Plantation. Hi, Mark. Hey, how you doing, bud? Good. Go ahead. Hey, the reunification that you guys do—I mean, all that other stuff is great with the foster, and that's beautiful that y'all take care of children. But when you guys do a reunification, I know it's off the subject. What? What? I mean. How much research do the, the social workers really do before they dump it to these cases? Well, let me answer in the fact that what we haven't discussed is that there's a lot of other players um, in the process, um, and most importantly is the judiciary. None of these children are removed. None of these children are in foster care, and none of these children are reunified without judicial oversight and judicial approval. Guardian ad litem also? Guardian ad litem acts on behalf, works for the court in essence, a separate organization, but reports to the court on the well-being of the child and their opinion of where the case, how it should proceed. Then we have our case managers. We have the children's legal teams. Um, So it's a whole bunch of people that make a decision. It's always a team decision, never any individual's decision, and it always needs to get the stamp of approval of the court. Right. I I, I understand that. And my family's going through a situation now where, to me, the whole thing is ugly and ridiculous the way it's handled. Like, with the caseworkers just showing up and, and to me, just feeling, you know, when they fill a child's head with a bunch of nonsense and you know, the said child being, you know, a teenager, and teenagers are very impressive. You know, they, they, they take, they're, they're impressed very well with, with words. I mean, how does, how does that, how do you guys go about that mm-hmm. when the case, when, when a caseworker that's for the child on that side goes and, and twists the child's head 
into thinking things that would never happen. Well, I'm I'm sure all of these cases are unique, uh, John. We really you really can't just uh, take a, a general answer. Our program today is really just general information on recruiting foster parents. So, no, and that's totally awesome. If I could do it, I, I would totally do it. I got one of my own. Every child needs. Okay, well, thanks for your call. Issue is with you know with the courts and with everything else. Right. Okay, Mark. You know, thank just, you very much. All right, y'all have a good day. Okay, okay. you too. We're speaking about ChildNet or with the folks from ChildNet, Broward and Palm Beach County. And we will take a short break. We'll be right back. We're back. It's Topical Currents. Joseph Cooper, Bonnie Berman, and we're talking about ChildNet of Broward and Palm Beach Counties with Larry Ryan, Kenny Brighton, and Kenny Smith. Without further ado, let's go to uh, Sharon in Miami. Hi. Sharon. Hi. Hi, Sharon. Go ahead. Hi. Um, I've been a victim of this system, and I urge everyone to watch a program called Foster Shock. It's played on WLRN, and you might be able to find it on YouTube. The um, one thing, there's several points I want to make. First of all, I have two law degrees, and uh, one of the problems is that this judicial system that's supposed to watch out for these children Everything is done behind behind closed doors. In any other court, you can go ahead and see what the judges are doing. And you can't with the uh, system that's in place. Secondly, when you're paying a foster care parent $17 a day, what are the executives making in this privatized program we now have in Florida? Um, Again, I think this is answered in in the program Foster Shock. In the group homes, it's horrific. Many children turn to prostitution. The other thing is that under Florida law, it is a felony to make a false report of child abuse. And I know for a fact that who the person was that made the first allegation and was very clear to the person who came to my home, and that person was never persecuted, prosecuted for felony. So this leads to a lot of abuse in the system. And when people are recruited, uh, I hear commercials for the Guardian and Lightham program and for foster parents, you clearly state that these children are neglected, abused. Okay, what's the name of the documentary? What's the name? Okay, Let's, we'll, we'll urge our, our listeners to call that. We're trying to do a, a general program on foster parent recruitment. I'm sure there's privacy issues involved and uh, the salaries. That is really not in the scope of our... Uh, a discussion today, so thanks for your call. Brian in West Palm Beach, hi. Brian? Uh, yes. Uh, um, um, thanks. Um, I'm calling because I'm just curious. I want to ask a question based on my own experience. I was raised in foster homes from the age of six to when I was emancipated, quite successfully, I would say. Um, but in the state where I was raised, um, the public welfare department uh, I guess farmed me out to the Jewish Family and Children's Service, um, who essentially uh, supervised all aspects of uh, my foster care. Um, and I was just wondering if, uh, uh, in this area, ChildNet is essentially a monopoly, or whether there are also other private agencies, such as Jewish Family Service, um, involved in foster care. And I'll take my answer off the line. Okay, okay. thank you. Thanks for your call. Larry? Oh, uh 
Yes, and ChildNet just sort of oversees and manages the system, but the actual foster homes at, are recruited and managed by other local nonprofit organizations. Between Broward and Palm Beach, we have probably more than 20 nonprofits doing that, including an organization in Broward and to some extent in Palm Beach, JAFCO, which is Jewish Adoption and Foster Care Options. Um, and they've been doing a wonderful job for a long time. So by no st stretch of the imagination is ChildNet a monolith. In fact, ChildNet really doesn't provide that direct service. <laughs> All right, we have an email. Laura, I've always wanted to either foster or adopt, but my income is a bit low and my family and I live almost paycheck to paycheck. First question, do you think this is a good idea for somebody who's on a budget like this? Also, can you speak to the fact of being a foster parent and the sorrow of either seeing the child go back to their original family or some other situation along those lines? Let's take the first one. I can uh, speak to that. When you're going through the process of becoming a foster parent, it's done in partnership and it's done in cooperation with the licensing agency. And they'll look at your budget and they will talk to you about what it means to be a foster parent. You do not have to be wealthy to be a foster parent. Uh, you have to be able to show that your, your budget balances, that you're capable of caring for your own family needs because the needs of the children will be supplied and provided for through some of the benefits you receive right. as a foster parent. Like the medical benefits. Right. And, and how I answer the question about your heartbreaking when a child leaves, I, I understand that completely from a personal experience. And I always tell people that I am willing to allow my heart to break so that their heart can heal. Because when they come into care and they have that scared look on their face, they need their heart to heal. They need a safe place to land. They need a home that's going to love them. And yes, your heart may break when they leave, but you send them off a little bit stronger. And Laura, um, maybe perhaps if you're interested, again, we'll give those numbers out and you'll see. And it'll be determined if there is enough um, income for you to have a foster Why don't give them out again now? Okay, so, the yeah, the foster care recruitment hotline in Broward County, we will have them on our website, WLRN.org, as well. In Broward, it's 954-414-6001, 954-414-6001. For Palm Beach County, it's 561-352-2501, 561-352-2501. Two five zero one, and the abuse hotline is one eight hundred nine six abuse one eight hundred nine six a b u s e. And our kids of Miami Dade and Monroe, that's also a recruitment hotline. That's three zero five four four five five six two four one. Again, three zero five four four five six two four one. What are your other greatest needs that you have for the organization ChildNet right now? Yeah, so it's, it's a couple. Yeah, thank you. It's a, it's an important question, and there's a couple of things, but I think it really boils down to, to three major ones. And like any nonprofit, funding is always a need. Um, we are funded by the state, but by no means do we have adequate funding to be everything we want to be and to do everything we want to do. So funding is always important um, in any denomination. We're always looking to have the most impact with any amount of money that, that anyone can possibly donate, of course. Um, 
Number two, Larry spoke about safe place earlier, and this is a first stop for children after they're removed, and a lot of them will come to safe place with nothing but the, the clothes on their back. And so we're always looking to have donations of backpacks or duffel bags and clothing items that we can give to the children. And then the holiday donation drive is coming up, um, and so always looking for, for gifts for that. Okay, well, it's been a very interesting hour. All right, and uh, we thank you all for being with us. Larry Ryan is Child Nets Palm Beach Executive Director. Thank you very much. Thank you both so much for the opportunity. And we hope you get a lot of foster parents from this. Sure, we will. Um, Kenny Brighton is Child Nets Director of Community Relations. Thank you very much. Thank you. And Wendy Smith is Director of Foster Home Recruitment and Licensing and a foster parent and adoptive parent herself, which she's been for many years. Thank you all. Thank you. And thanks for tuning in this hour. Apologies to those callers we couldn't get on the air. Our program was produced by Richard Ives, technical direction from online content producer Jason Zabka. Polly Landis is associate producer. And as always, we have free audio archives of each program no charge at our website that's wlrn.org and you can listen on the itunes podcast and see us on both the wlrn and topical currents facebook pages our theme music created by michael levine join us for tomorrow's program when we examine today's journalism education principles and methods How has social media, blogging, and fake news impacted how University J schools teach students? We'll have reps from the University of Missouri School of Journalism on board. Your alma mater. Yes. Joseph Cooper and Bonnie Berman, thanks for making public radio your companion today. Stay tuned for Here and Now next from NPR News.